welcome to SlayerFest98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford. And today with me, I have two lovely co-hosts. I have pop culture critic and dumpster raccoon. Anthony Oliveira. Hello, everybody. Hi, Anthony. And in this corner, I have writer and wrestler aficionado slash Fergie Ferg. <laughs> Latoya Ferguson. Hey, everybody. And in the next corner, we have someone who played the iconic Queen Cordelia Chase and can be seen as a reoccurring as reoccurring character Lara on the upcoming CW show Pandora. Charisma Carpenter! <laughs> no big deal, no big deal. <laughs> I just I just I, I was that was funny because I was I was feeling the MMA uh moment there. It would be amazing in the ring. I would love to see that happen. Oh my god! <laughs> Have you been watching all the like quarantine wrestling at all, where they're like fighting in an empty stage uh, stadium? It's amazing. It's like like a little Beckett play. That would be great. <laughs> How is the quarantine treating you, Charisma? Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. It's it's fine. Um, apart from all the anxiety and stress of just not knowing, uh, you know, like everybody else, you know, this just not knowing, you know, are we safe and how long is the quarantine going to last for? And is he going to release people from quarantine too soon? And mm -hmm. we're going to have like a crazy um, meltdown in our our um, hospital situations and, you know, just being in generally worried about society as a whole. Right. No right. right. But you've yeah. survived many apocalypses before, which is why you're on here with us today. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am good. I, you know, it's funny is I am really good in a crisis and I have firsthand experience knowing this because i've been in a couple in real life outside of the apocalyptic fictional version of buffy the vampire slayer but it's funny because when i was preparing for all of this stuff you know i was preparing for doomsday because mm -hmm. i was here during the riots in la and i was here during the northridge quake and i was at home depot getting my um generator i was getting my flashlights Whoa. my batteries like getting all of my stuff getting dry ice and a cooler like getting prepared should there be <laughs> apocalypse so basically i wanted to paint this picture of me and home depot you know you know preparing for a doomsday and my son is like high school cordelia annoyed like, <laughs> what is your childhood trauma like what is wrong with you <laughs> This is just over the top. You're so extra. We don't need all this stuff. When is this over? When can I go home? I don't have cell service in this place. <laughs> so annoyed and put out. And it was so stressful because I'm like trying to tell him that I am good in a crisis and we may need this stuff. And when the time comes, we will live. We will survive. And he's like, honestly, mom, if there is an apocalypse, kill me now. <laughs> I don't want to live a post-apocalyptic life. And meanwhile, you're living the apocalypse. Did you just say you're in a leopard print jacket? Is that <laughs> podcasting in a leopard print jacket? That's I am. perfect. So. so charisma, I feel like this, yeah. I have been, it feels so nice to have you on the podcast. I have wanted you on since I started this freaking podcast like a thousand years ago. And I always felt like, oh, well, like charisma is the person I'll never get on, but I'll always want to have on. So it's nice to finally do this i remember as an example and when i was starting out on buffy there was a friend that was a friend of someone else that was a manager of elenis morissette and i remember saying wait elenis is doing what tonight on new year's like she's yeah she would have come you know you should have invited her i was like that's an option <laughs> <laughs> Like she doesn't have something else. It's like, yeah, she would absolutely do that. Like people just, you just have to ask. And well, I have to say like getting, getting my name mentioned along with Stacey Abrams got my attention. I was like, what? <laughs> That's how I saw it. I love how politically engaged you are. That's really yes. like amazing and refreshing to see. I wanted to talk a little bit about that with you, Charisma. Like what do you, I think a lot of, a lot of uh, Buffy and Angel fans tend to be on the more, you know, progressive leaning spectrum. I mean, sometimes there's Mark. a few that aren't. Yeah, but uh, how, like, how does that work? Like, do you ever get any pushback 
on like social media because of how political you are. Cause like really I, for me and most of our audience, I know we all love that seeing an actor who portrayed a character we love grow because you don't often see that all the time, you know? Uh, well, the growth part did happen exponentially in the election of 2016. So, mm. you know, that really got my attention and I've basically been in a state of anxiety ever since just because I'm watching all of my reproductive rights and you know you know I was I was gonna say that I used to be married to somebody that was Australian and so like immigration issues you know but of course he was white so it wasn't really an issue um according to this administration but you know there are just you know I just got really awakened to the the administration and the pain and suffering that they're causing people and just how un-American it feels. And I, I was, I was really worried about what this means. You know, uh, if we have these conservatives on the Supreme court um, that are being accused of rape and they're still getting their nominations and we have women like Susan Collins, you know, out there, as a woman, I just feel so betrayed, you know, it's just, it's just, I don't understand. There's a famous saying by Maya Angelou that says that I've been a woman a very long time. It would be stupid to not be on my own side. And I don't understand politicians or female politicians that don't legislate and create laws that support 50% of the nation, you know, or the world is, is, females so it's like i don't understand why we wouldn't be more progressive and why there are all these men in office and you know white men privileged men that just are really out of touch and it's very upsetting and it was it was a very rude awakening in 2016 that's fair. and so i've that's been fair. super engaged because of that you're gonna say the show was a bit of an awakening for you too right like i it was for me i i grew up i think maybe we have similar backgrounds i grew up like in a very conservative catholic house um, and Buffy was kind of my first exposure to like a more progressive way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And actually, you have been like an enormous not to not to fanboy here, but like uh, <laughs> I mean, I was like a little gay kid growing up in this like very conservative mindset, and um, not just like learning how to like oh like characters like Cordelia are fascinating, but even just like the work you did. I remember when um, the Playboy shoot happened. I was like, oh my god, I don't understand how to deal with this. Like it was a real shocked to my system to learn like how to think of women as something other than the way the church had <laughs> taught me to think of women and I just first of all want to thank you for the work you did opening up my mind but I was listening to an interview where you talked about how you came into the show yourself kind of struggling with faith issues and stuff and the show kind of opened up your brain about that sort of thing is that true or I don't think that the show storylines opened up my brain as much <laughs> as my reality of working on the show had opened up my brain to the oh that's actually not true because now that I'm thinking about what you just said and how it related to a conversation that I had had with David Greenwald about her making out in closets and was she a slut yeah I did stress I did worry about that but not in terms of messaging to the audience as much as being comfortable doing that. And then, and then, you know, obviously first, I think by the third season of angel, I'm on the cover of playboy. So obviously I overcame those, those ideas, but, but wait, that's actually a very troubling statement that I just say, said, because why is being on playboy um, so radical? Why is that such a, degeneration of women or considered slut like I'm a slut if I did that so actually that I have to walk that back myself you know because I'm so used to and programmed into thinking that being naked is shameful and exactly. and being yeah. proud of your body or exp- you know I, I was gonna say exploiting your body but it's not exploitive if you're if I'm into it you know what I mean yeah like, or, exactly <laughs> yeah I, I took that as like you saying like hey I realized I can do this. Like it was for me a power move in one facet only besides vanity. And that is <laughs> I Nothing had wrong. gained 50 pounds as a pregnant person. I'd never seen numbers on a scale like that in my entire life. In when you're an actress, you are very scale centric. And it was just 
a horror. It was frightening and it was so hard to navigate the purpose of my body and sustaining life and giving life and the, and the beauty of that versus the way I'm the beauty by which people are to view me, you know, like I'm supposed to be beautiful to look at. And if I'm 50 pounds heavier than, then I'm not beautiful anymore. And I really felt very different as a pregnant woman um, than I did as a person that had never experienced childbirth. And so when it was all said and done, I felt more in my body and more fulfilled as a woman and understanding and appreciating the ability to create life and how grateful I am that I was able to do that. It doesn't mean that I'm more woman than someone that wasn't able to do that, but it just right. was such a gift to be able to have done that. And I've, I had been not, I had been taking that for granted. Like, Hey, this is a vessel that sustains life. And I'm just looking at it in this one specific way and that it has to be toned and it has to weigh a certain amount, but like, that's so small, right? Yeah. You know, what if it's more and what if I celebrate that? And what if I want to get back in shape? And what if I do want to be attractive and more in shape in the confines of what I was a struggling to feel all along, but with the new knowledge of what I can do with my body mm -hmm. and how great that is. Yeah. It's a bit of a complicated thing to say, but I think, no, I, I, that makes sense. I mean, I find since, since my last breakup and like all that crap, I found myself going to the gym more for me, which was kind of nice. Like, it's like, Oh, I like, for me, it helps me get out my anxiety and like my like stress. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I turn like, it's like, you're doing it for you. You want to you want to feel good. You're not doing it so like people think some way of you. You're doing it for you. I so want I wanted to feel sexy again. Yeah. I wanted to feel like okay, that was a really that that was a beautiful experience. And then there were moments too, and I'm going to be really honest. Like I felt claustrophobic in my own body, and to feel claustrophobic in your own body is. <laughs> there's nothing you can do about it you're just, <laughs> right yeah you gotta get over it or you're and also just you know i'm heavier and it, you have the aches and pains that go along with that and it was a journey it was a and it wasn't like oh my god i'm so lucky and i'm so in love with <laughs> pregnancy the best thing i wasn't that person i had moments of that but i also had moments of going I can't breathe. I, when I eat, I'm too full. I can't get a full breath of air. I can't sleep. I'm cranky. It's like my pants don't fit. Like, this is hard. <laughs> you know, this is really hard. That's the reality of it. But then when yeah. you go through the whole thing and then you get this baby in your arms, you're like, oh my God, I do this again. And <laughs> this is amazing. Okay. So as with all guests, we ask them their Buffy origin, whether it's, you know, uh, someone who didn't work on the show who's just talking about how they started watching it. Um, can you give us your Buffy origin about, like, kind of, like, what your audition was like, if you remember the first day of recording or anything? I 100% remember it all. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and I've told it before, but um, I'll just say I was working on Malibu Shores at the time for NBC. Woo. It was an Aaron Spelling show, and I played Ashley, which is sort of a version of Cordelia, but not quite as extra as my right. son would put it. Um, <laughs> so I think she was a little rich girl or whatever, and they had this casting for Buffy, but I was already on a TV show, but I think the consensus was that it wasn't going to last. So my agents um, sent me out on Buffy, and... Uh, they sent me the monocle, the monologue with Giles in the pilot. Um, and I was at my boyfriend's house, who was a junior agent at CAA at the time. And I was studying the dialogue with him and, I, and, and going over my lines and he was helping me study. And, and then I went in and I remember wearing gap overalls <laughs> with a white t-shirt underneath and orange jelly j crew flip-flops amazing and <laughs> I, it was so cute and um I, I had a high ponytail and it was just this very <laughs> you know valley girl 
vibe, you know, that was also the 90s, you know, with those little baby t-shirts that Mm -hmm, they had. mm -hmm. (laughs) So that was the vibe. And I read for, I read the Buffy, like everybody, just for the record, everybody tried out for Buffy. And and the whole town read for the part, you know, so (laughs) it's not like some big surprise that I read for it also. And then what happened is I was in the room and they loved me. It was Gail Berman, Joss Whedon. And Gail Berman is like goals. And I read for the part. They loved me. And they said, would you by chance on the spot, just go out and uh, we'll take somebody else. And would you be willing to read for the role of Cordelia? And I said, sure. So I went in and I read for it. And then I tested for it. And then I my test was on the same day I had to work on Malibu Shores and Malibu Shores was shooting way down South in Long Beach. And the test was way up North at Warner Brothers Ranch, which wasn't even like where Warner Brothers Studios is. Warner Brothers Ranch is even further out in the Valley, super deep Valley. And so I was really stressed that I wasn't going to get off work on time. I said to a costumer on Malibu Shorts, would it be okay if I wore this to my test? And my test was at the network with Garth, um, Garth and Sear and Joss was in the room. And so I am in my car. And at the time I drove a neon, Nissan Sentra. <laughs> I love your detail work. Two doors, I know. <laughs> no air conditioning, no radio. Oh, and no. it was raining. And I was driving and I asked, I asked costume, can I wear this outfit to my audition? Yes. And I asked the team stars, what is the fastest way to Warner Brothers Ranch from Long Beach? So I end up getting on this really long convoluted way to get there. And about three fourths of the way there, I'm in downtown in the rain, in my car, getting my beep from my agent going 911, her number and 911, her number 911. I'm like in gridlock at rush hour in the oh, rain in downtown on the 101. So then I, I finally get off. And as soon as I get off on Barham, there is a liquor store with a phone booth and it's still there. <laughs> the the phone booth car. is still there? Wow. <laughs> it's not like a phone. It's like a phone, but it's not in a booth. It's just a phone there, like for the public to use. And I didn't know that was a thing. It probably doesn't work anymore. But they I should put a plaque <laughs> under it saying yeah. that you called there for this job. I mean, right? So if anyone's <laughs> listening and they ever want to go on a Buffy tour, you should yeah, go to exactly. Long Beach and then go, or we should do a board game. Um, and then I, uh, I call my agent and I'm like, what's going on? She goes like, where are you? And I'm like, what do you mean? Where am I? I'm in rush hour traffic in the rain. It's making my way from Long Beach to Warner Brother Ranch. I just got off at Barham and I was like, so stressed out. And she's like, you've got to hurry up and get there. And I was like, what? They're not leaving. You tell them to order a fucking pizza. No, I didn't say fucking. <laughs> That's me interjecting a little entertainment. But I was like, you you can't tell them. You tell them to order a pizza or something. I did not just go through 45 minutes of traffic in the rain not and just be so close and for them to say that they're leaving to go eat food. No, make them stay or tell them to order a pizza. Like, no, they're going to see me. <laughs> and she goes, okay. Well, hurry up. And I'm like, duh. So I hang up <laughs> and I go. I'm like, I can't even believe, like, if I was in this level of stress going into the audition, I was told, like, if you don't hurry up, they're going to leave. I would cr- be crippled. But when you're <laughs> young and you're you're just more brazen, you're more resilient, you're, you have no yeah. mortgage and kids and stuff uh-huh. to pay for and stuff. I don't know. There's just something like free about you at that time where you can be emboldened enough to say tell him to order a pizza it like, sounds like it kind of got you into character it sounds yeah. like cordelia emerged in that moment cordelia <laughs> and so then i go into the audition and i read and they loved it and they tell me to wait outside so i call my agent on a side as little side room that was there with the telephone and i said i like got the part and she's like don't say that you don't know and i'm like no i know i i got it i can tell i just i can tell i <laughs> I got this part and she's like, uh, well, I'll, I'll let, you know, well, what's happening right now? And I said, well, I just came out and the vibe is that I got it and I'm waiting for them to tell me. So she's like, okay, we'll go back and where they told you to wait. And I'm like, well, I am where they told me to wait. So I stand by and they said, thank you very much. You can go home. And I was like, mm. 
So maybe I didn't get it. Mm. <laughs> by the time I get home, which is like another 45 minutes, um, I'm getting pages again. <laughs> pages in my notebook. <laughs> I'm like, Wendy, I'm in the car. <laughs> I have a cell phone. Like that wasn't even a thing then. I was just this poor little actress sharing oh. his new apartment, driving my two-door Nissan Sentra with no air. <laughs> I get home and I call my agent and she goes, you got your part. And I said, oh. I knew it. That's amazing. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> but it was, it was great. But it was also very, you know, I look back on those times and it's just, it was, it was a really wonderful experience. And also a side note, it was so great that people made decisions that quickly then. Sorry. Mm. Okay. Um, they, I'm getting a message. I don't know how to turn that off. Sorry. Um, <laughs> it's on my computer because it's synced. Rude. Um, <laughs> but they don't make decisions that fast anymore. And you also yeah. don't, you don't go to net, you don't go from like a producer session to, to the straight to the network. Now there's like produce, you have the casting, the producer session, the studio session, then you have the network testing and then they have you on hold for a week until like 5 PM on the last day, they tell you their decision. <laughs> It's wild to imagine a version of this show that wasn't you as Cordelia. Like it's yeah. it's so funny hearing this alternate reality where someone else could have gotten this part because you play her so expertly. Um, was she different? Was she ever different on the page than you imagined? How did you imagine her growing as a character that maybe surprised you or? Like, how do you make this character work? Because it is possible, I've heard you praise the writing before, but it is possible to play this character as very one note. And instead you made a very bullying character extremely likable. People like bitches? I don't know. <laughs> is that what it is? Is it simple? I don't think it is. It is really not that simple. I mean, I don't yeah. know. I haven't analyzed it. I haven't like... Like people who play villains are always like, oh, in my head, I'm not, she's not a villain. But like Cordelia is kind of a villain at first. Like how did you crack the walnut of playing this character? How did you understand her? <sighs> well, I had an acting coach and I think it was <laughs> always about looking at the scene and learning what is the objective of the scene? How is she furthering the story? Mm-hmm what is the story and understanding what her objective is in every single scene? Like, what does she want? And answering that question from that point of view and understanding her background as it was kind of pulled out slowly, but surely I did have to make choices about her background before I knew her background because they're kind of fleshing it out as the script goes on. I think I was, you know, not intended to be a series regular because well they had they made me a recurring because I was still on another show at the same time so that was also a problem um I couldn't have even been Buffy if I wanted to I think because I was contracted on Malibu Shores and it hadn't we were still in production I was shooting the pilot and episodes of of Malibu Shores at the same time when I was shooting the pilot of Buffy so they took me in second position meaning they had first writer refusal Malibu Shores. So anything that happened on Buffy, they had to coordinate with my schedule with Malibu Shores first. So it was really quite generous of Buffy to willingly take me under those circumstances because I wasn't a free agent. They had to take a backseat to Malibu Shores' schedule first. So that was the reality. So I was really a reoccurring at first. And then once Malibu Shores was canceled and then I could move on, then I was series regular. Um, and we were also a uh, mid-season replacement. So we weren't like a brand new show in the fall. We were starting in the summer, oh, right, which, yeah. was, which was also kind of a difficult thing in terms of um, ratings and getting making sure that the show was fleshed out and we could go further. So I think they were like not really focused on Cordelia at the very beginning too too much. So I had to fill in some of those blanks on my own with my casting, um, not my casting, but with my acting coach, Iris Klein, who, by the way, I think the world of and is an amazing coach and is uh, brilliant at also helping me as an actress in this. I have massive anxiety, massive. And so when I don't feel safe, in terms of being under a timeline or, or you have to get it right in one take or you're having a bad day and you have to sort of 
compartmentalize that, like your boyfriend broke up with you and you have to compartmentalize that and show up for work because this is a machine and it costs a lot of money every single day is costing like one episode of, of angel was a million dollars. So like, you know, just Holy to shit. finance <laughs> an episode of the show was very expensive. So if you ne- require more takes, you're costing money, you're costing film, you're costing time, you're, you're keeping the days longer. You're, you know, if you don't get your lines right, then people are having to go to lunch later, which means you get into meal penalties, which then costs the production money. So I knew that and I was, I would feel the pressure a lot and it would send me into an anxious state, which would then just backfire and make me take longer. And, um, that was, that was not a good position to be in and where Iris would help me would just, I would have to write my dialogue out. Then I would have to, um, break it, break it down with her. Like what is happening in the scene, understand the scene, understand my point of view, understand what I want, what I'm trying to achieve and get out of everybody. And then I would toss the pillow with her. So she would toss it to me and I would toss it to her and I would recite my lines while doing a physical activity <laughs> so would get my right and my left brain working at the same time. So that when I would show up on set and there would be a tense moment or it would we'd be under pressure, I would know two things. Number one, I was prepared. I'd done the work to succeed. And two, that I could trust that I've done everything I could to be great. And if, if I could just trust in the work that I did, everything would be okay. And then that would get, sometimes that would work and sometimes it would still not work. (laughs) Um, But more often than not, I set myself up for success rather than failure. I love that. Uh, And Charisma, you know, you talk about uh, how Buffy was a mid-season show. Uh, Angel was apparently a million dollars per episode, which is, I feel like it's the first time. I I think, I, I believe that it makes sense to me. But I think it's also the first time I've ever heard of that or like how much any of the episodes of Buffy or Angel were. I think that's like not really something people know about. What was it kind of like working uh, in the w- on the WB in that era? Because, you know, despite it never really being a network's rating like juggernaut, you know, people look back fondly on the WB with a lot of nostalgia. And I mean, right. Buffy was such like a pop culture touchstone, despite not being a huge rating success, you know? Yeah, I have great affection for the WB. We were essentially a it was a brand new network. They had um the only show on the time at that time was the Jessica Alba uh, Jessica Beale show um Seventh Heaven. Mary Watson Seventh Heaven. <laughs> that was the big success. Well done you. Um that was the <laughs> success show that they had. Um and so they were kind of new and up and coming. And so we were a new and up and coming show as well. But what was brilliant about the WB was obviously Garth. Garth. Um, And we also had a showrunner on Buffy named Gareth Davies. So sometimes they garbled the two names. But um, (laughs) Garth Ancier was the the network head at the time. And so I attribute our success and his, his ability to also choose talent behind, like Joss, that is wildly creative and allows them to explore their voice and is patient with them to develop an audience. Most networks at the time wouldn't spend money on marketing, wouldn't allow a show on the air long enough if it didn't like jump off immediately from the gate and become an evident hit, you know, with all these ratings and all these tune-ins. So they allowed Buffy to build and they allowed Joss, they knew to leave Joss alone to do his artistic thing. Whereas if Buffy had been on NBC, CBS, which ideally is where you would always want a, a show like that to be, right? On a big four network, you get in more rooms. But why it was perfect was because they were patient mm-hmm. and they were new and they were, they believed and they could do the kind of indie uh, model you know, to give it space and to, to let the artists do their job. There weren't, I'm sure there were notes, but I'm sure they wouldn't have been the same kind of notes or on in terms of scope and in terms of copious notes, you know, it would just be maybe a few tweaks here and there where on a big network, I think they would run into a lot of problems and get into legal issues and, 
and, and stuff like that. So I am grateful that we're on the WB. Uh, I miss the WB every day. <laughs> that little dancing frog, you know? Uh, oh, watch yeah, the frog, the you frog. guys. <laughs> and I really loved doing those promo shoots, too. They were really fun. And I genuinely liked the people that were on the other shows, like on Dawson's Creek and Seventh Heaven. And I never really did get to meet Jennifer, um, or Jessica, rather. Um, but I did meet Jennifer, and I did meet... Um, Katie Holmes and I met Michelle Williams and you know Alyssa Milano and 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 Holly Marie were were also um, on the WB at the time and obviously Felicity with Carrie Russell who I had been on Malibu Shores with you know we all found homes there and we enjoyed getting together and it was it was a jovial time it was a very fond time for me. Oh my God, I'm having these like visceral memories of those promos yeah. that I had completely forgotten about until you brought them up just now it's like oh Carissa, yeah <laughs> i want you to know latoya is our resident like tv historian and latoya <laughs> often brings up those promo shoots <laughs> oh yes i bring them up all the time <laughs> yeah they were fun I on our end it was fun it was low pressure often on a saturday which everybody was like not happy about and not <laughs> because working on a vampire show is about a, i mean minimum a 65 hour work week so sometimes it would be more. And if you're David, you're working easy 75 to 80 hour work weeks. Wow. So, you know, to have to come in and do promos on the weekend or having to do regional um, tours, you know, to go to different markets across the country, you know, mm -hmm. go to WGN in Chicago or go out to Arizona and to a little new local news thing and have to promote the show. It was, it was a lot. Um, Veronica Mars, they had to do that. You know, they if you're Veronica and Veronica Mars, you're working an insane amount of hours. It's exhausting. Um, but they made it fun. They did. It was a party. It was fun. It's good to hear that it actually was a party and fun. And now I can just it be happy for forever. <laughs> yeah, it was for me. I mean, I, I genuinely liked the people that I, I, I was working with. Yeah, what, we recorded one episode once that LaToya kept bringing up those promos. And I was like... I don't remember because it was so long ago. I was like, I don't remember the promos. And Latoya was like, I got you and sent me like links to all of them on YouTube. <laughs> and then I remembered them, of course. It was good times. I mean, there's not a lot to complain about. You know, I was 29 years old. I was on a I was on a small network, but it was a cult favorite show. Um, everybody, nobody would talk to me, which was like bittersweet because in a way you're like, you know you're on a very popular show and you know that people know who you are because you feel that energy but mm -hmm. at the same time they're not talking to you so then you have like the the benefit of oh they know who I am but then also they're not bothering me because they're afraid of me and then you have the <laughs> the benefit of you know you know I got to buy my house you know it's just it was a I was artistically fulfilled I was able to uh live out of you know a very tangible reward of of working on a show and feeling successful in the sense that I was able to buy myself a house like that was a really <laughs> big thing you know for me I I was very I was almost afraid to buy it because it didn't I was afraid that it would be taken away or that it wouldn't last or like I, you know there's all those fear. you don't know you know mm. you just don't know so that was like a big moment for me you know like i am officially a grown-up i have a mortgage <laughs> and a job uh, <laughs> did you have any were there any moments in the actual life of the show that you stand out to you as like your favorites like oh that scene was amazing or even in the afterlife where it's like oh that's everyone the scene that everyone comes to you about or anything like that like when did cordelia like really when did it really land for you uh, those are kind of two different questions. Um, when did it land for me in terms of what do you mean? And then as far as, go ahead. Like as far as landing, like when was she Cordelia? When were you like, oh, I get her. Um, and then when were like the moments you're like, yeah, that kicked ass, you know? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it's interesting because like Cordelia was Cordelia day one, like mm. kind of not a half I step. I believe that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't really like. <laughs> I mean, like the audition, you know? Yeah. Um, 100%. I've never not felt connected or confused or like, oh, this was the moment where it solidified. I do have moments of where no matter what character I'm portraying, it once I put on the clothes or the shoes, it's kind of like a shoe thing. Like, a shoe thing, right? Well, 
what kind of shoe would your character wear? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it really does sort of twist for me in my brain. Like I really do become that character. I remember doing a, a really silly movie for television. I don't know what, if it ended up on Hallmark or Lifetime, one of those movies. And it was called My Mom Robs Banks. It might've been retitled later, but I remember she had to be a man in an episode, mm-hmm. like be a guy for a second. <laughs> and I fucking loved that feeling. <laughs> I put on those shoes and I put on that, that, those pants and I got to do the facial hair. And it was like, when did I feel like I was the man? You know, like when did I feel, okay, I'm complete. I'm the dude. And I think it was having being in costume and, and, and then waiting on set and realizing the way I was sitting was not charisma and it wasn't the other character the mom it was him amazing (laughs) and that was a very cool moment and as far as cordelia goes if i were to try to transplant that that picture that i just painted for you and put that into cordelia it's like when was she cordelia it was like day one yeah it reads on it reads like you never don't know who she is on the show. Like she is herself from the beginning. I think it's part of what makes her so attractive as a character. It's like this person knows themselves. Cordelia, I knew who Cordelia was more than I knew who Charisma was. <laughs> That's amazing. Cordelia, Cordelia made me me. Cordelia made me say my truth. Cordelia made me okay with telling people no. Cordelia made me okay with not letting people get away with dismissing me because I looked a certain way that then I, it meant that my point of view wasn't valid. Like Mm -hmm. Cordelia made me feel like it's okay to be heard and speak my mind and not apologize for it. And that was invaluable to me. Charisma. I could, I could (laughs) cry hearing you say that because (laughs) fucking same. I always say that Cordelia was like, my actual like gay icon growing up and like helped form and anytime I've had so I, I have had two different straight roommates that didn't watch Buffy but of course I made them watch Buffy because duh nice. and every time we would go through Buffy they'd be like oh I see why you love Cordelia so much <laughs> because she's you <laughs> and so I always I always feel like she helped form uh my personality and yeah like being able to say no without feeling like an asshole right being like just no the answer is no i'm not being mean i'm just saying no and that's fine and you can get mad i don't care or being well, willing to be an asshole you can't too. control how people receive your no like I, that's yeah. another thing that i've re- realized like you know for instance if i'm at a con and somebody asks me to hug like i'm not a hugger it's not mm. personal it's not it's not me not being gracious. Like I watch Michelle Obama, she hugs people and I watch people. It's, it's literally just something I am not comfortable doing. And then there's that line like, well, if you're a, per- a public person, do you, are you allowed to have that line? Are you, and then like, how will people take you? And would Michelle Obama be okay with not hugging? And has she ever hugged somebody when she didn't want to hug somebody? You know, like I just want the choice. You know, I want to be able to have the choice to hug or to not hug and not be treated badly or viewed badly for saying, no, I'm not comfortable with that. But I also am not in control of how people are affected by my saying no. So when they say no, it's really in the delivery. It's like, you know, I'd rather not. But if it's somebody like that is really kind of pushy with it, like, you know, especially if they've been warned already and been told like, listen, charisma is not a hugger. Please don't ask to hug her. And then they ask. Mm -hmm. I really... I really am comfortable saying I'm not a hugger or I'm not going to hug you. I, I know I'd rather you didn't hug me, but I'm happy to shake your hand or like offer an alternative or just say, I'm, you know, but I, I shouldn't have to feel like my acceptance is determined on whether you, I allow you to cross a boundary or not. Right. You know what exactly. I mean? Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's been a journey. It's been a journey with, and it still is a struggle to not feel bad, but I also have to own that that is what makes me comfortable is to maintain that certain boundary. You know, Emma once told me, she's like, yeah, you know, I understand that that makes sense, but you're like, when they're kids, you know, you, you know, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. You know, when they're kids, I may, I should look at that. I should look at that and read it. <laughs> but it, I, I do, I will hug some people if it because I want to, not because they asked for it. You know what mm. I mean? Like 
it, it, some people have asked and I've said, okay, but other people have just gone in for it and hugged and didn't ask. And that was really sticky. So it's just, it's an interesting, it's a really interesting um, thing for me and it's, uh, you know, ever changing and, and whatnot. But as a rule, it's, it's not my, it's not in my comfort zone to hug people. Mm-hmm. It's funny hearing you mention the shoes. I'm just thinking about my favorite, one of my favorite Cordelia scenes is on Angel where you're opposite Lila and you're both talking about your shoes. Do you remember this scene at all where it's uh-uh. the Leboutins and you're like, oh, they rounded the shoe. Like one of the things I love about Cordelia is that she's unashamed of the things that interest her, even if the world thinks those things are shallow. Like uh-huh. that's something I really learned from her as a character is like, oh, like I can stand up for the things that I care about even when the Aaron whole world totally tells me they're silly. Vacuous too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, um, we've had a few... Uh, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the show RuPaul's Drag Race. Yes, of course. Uh, so we've had a few um, drag queens on from that show. All of them, of course, love Cordelia. Nice. One actually, Dax exclamation point, uh, she does some like uh, Cordelia cosplay that she's done. And she always says that the reason she loves Cordelia is because Cordelia can still kick your ass and will still put you in your place, but also still wants to look cute while doing it. Like that's, <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. <laughs> Um, but speaking of that, uh, one of my favorite Cordelia moments, and I can remember watching it when I had the VHS tapes over and over again, was in graduation day when she finally staked a vampire. <laughs> and that was your idea, right? It was my ask. I asked Joss <laughs> if I could do could, you know, it's the third year on the Hellmouth and we're having, you know, a crisis can I please have my moment? Can I finally stick a vampire? And he said, yes, you're the only one that was nice to me tonight. So yes. <laughs> Did you want that because you knew it was kind of like Cordelia's last hurrah on Buffy? Or did you guys not know yet? Uh, I think I knew that already mm-hmm. by then, for sure. Because um, that was the last episode of the third season, I believe, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we had already been talks for the spinoff, but no, I just felt like it made sense. It just would make sense that I would have picked up a thing or two on how to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, not because it was, um, I just feel like, you know, Cordelia is smart. She, you know, there were lots of things that were peppered along the way, you know, that she did really well on her SATs and people were like shocked or that, you know, she had the wherewithal to say things like you can be completely alone and you can be surrounded by people and feel completely alone. Like those sorts of insights led to a person that was cognitively, cognitively aware. So, you know, she's not a dummy and obviously she's capable of, of, staking a vampire just because she's seen it done before like it may may or may not have gone down well but she would know to do it or how to do it (laughs) you know so like can she try can she try to save herself is there anything you didn't get to do across the two shows that you wish you had been able to do like (laughs) live did you say live Live would have been great yeah living would have been good (laughs) i agree (laughs) uh my I tell I tell almost everyone I've had on the show from this because I always feel like it's a cute little fact. My mother is an older Puerto Rican woman. She's 73. And when I was a teen, she's the one that got me into Buffy. And she would always say that like she loved that the women were capable and like still looked really pretty. Um, mm-hmm. And she still will name Cordelia's death as like her the most she ever cried on the show. It's like when Buffy had to kill Angel and then when you found out Cordelia was actually dead, like she will still be like, oh, those are those are the most heartbreaking moments for me. I told her I was interviewing her and she was she was like, tell her she's gorgeous and I love her. I was like, all right, mom, I'll make sure oh, I tell her that. Mom. <laughs> her. I'm so happy. I love hearing um, all the different ways that people are connecting to Cordelia, even all these years later. It just really fills my heart. It's funny. I was talking to my neighbors the other day. And I was just talking about how I I was going to do the Wales Comic Con and then it got canceled because of quarantine. And, you know, how how the con world has evolved and the, the view on doing cons, whereas before it'd be like, oh, you do cons because you're broke and you don't have the money to do it. Or like, you know, it had like a sort of like, it's like big movie stars would always do commercials, but they would only do them internationally. They would never do mm-hmm. them domestically because it would somehow make them, it would downplay their market value in some way. 
And one of the things that, you know, really opened my eyes to the fandom and to hearing stories like you just told me, how it has impacted and changed me is just really understanding, like even, you know, as, as a rule, actresses are, you know, pithy and light and and vacuous and like, don't mean anything. And, you know, back in the day, you know, these were sort of ideas that were put on us, like that we're not thinking involved citizens or mothers or, you know, I even had an ex-boyfriend's mother say that about me to my ex-boyfriend, which was just sort of like, you know, actresses or are, you know, a a substandard in some way that they sleep around or they're not capable of being good mothers. Those are two specific things that were mentioned to, and that stuck with me and that injured me in a way that I probably didn't even know until I got older you know, as a point of view. And I think what I learned by going to these cons and engaging so deeply with fans is, you know, it's it's self-serving in the sense that I feel validated, yes, but learning how much the show has been there for people and how people have used the show to comfort themselves or to grow as people and to, like I had even said about myself, you know, learning to say no without apologizing and being okay with saying no, how other people would just share their life stories and what scenes meant the most to them. And like, I remember, you know, my mom was going through chemo and it was, you know, what we used to watch together. And so, so when I watch it, I get to be with my mom again. Like it makes me, it makes me actually emotional <laughs> to repeat some of the stories that I would hear. And I just realized like arts is important. Arts are very important to our mm. humanity. And if we can't be connected or use arts as a tool to connect to each other, as a society, we suffer. And I never knew the power and the worth of what I did for a living until I did cons. Mm -hmm. And it's been amazing. And I feel sorry for people that have that idea that doing a con is somehow taking away from their livelihood or taking away from their marketplace because the gift back Mm -hmm. is beyond economic. It's soul, it's like soul food. It's Mm -hmm. good for, that's why I do them. I do them because they make me feel good, not because people are validating me and telling me how good I am. (laughs) That can't hurt though. That must be kind of nice. (laughs) Definitely a part of the equation. I'm not fucking stupid, but or like not that self-aware. I'm well self-aware enough to know. But I also genuinely love hearing those stories. And I love meeting people that are like, okay, this is what this, and this is my daughter, Charisma or Cordelia, whatever. And oh my God. Yeah. It's just really surreal and special. That's, you know, I, I, you're right. But also the validation is nice, Charisma. I mean. <laughs> I said that 110%. You know, like even my therapist said that. It's like one big, you know. Well, I won't say what he said because it was kind of crass what he said, but yeah, it's it's like you get off on it for sure. Um, yeah. It feels good, you know, to 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 know that what you're doing is being valued a hundred percent. You kidding? I I my podcast is a like tiny 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 level, and just having like one person when they're like, oh, like I really liked listening to it. It got me through this. I'm like, I'm gonna cry. This is the validation, and like this is so nice. Like just you want to know that your work is important. And it touches people. Yeah. I mean, of course. Yeah, um, And also I take it seriously. Like, you know, I don't, I want to, I do my very best to be on time. Sometimes things happen and you can't or rides or roadblocks or, you know, you don't, can't find the shoes you thought you packed or, you know, shit happens or you (laughs) broke your foundation on the floor, you know, getting out of the shower, you know, whatever it happens. But, you know, I do take it seriously. I do take the time with them seriously I try to look my best because I know that people have an expectation you know that you put the effort in you know and that you care and I I do care and I don't want to feel bad for caring about how I look or or wanting to look good for people that show up to 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 see me and you know are paying money for a picture you know I want to respect them enough and their money enough to know that I, I'm here and I'm present and I'm with you and I'm a hundred percent. I would, I would do the same thing. I, during quarantine, I've started doing um, some live streams with some YouTubers, well, actually one YouTuber, Zach. Um, and he's really great. He's really sweet. He has a very nice following. Everyone's very chill. Um, and he's more of like a laid back 
sweet Midwestern gay, and I'm very like prissy New Yorker gay. So when he tells me, I'm like, I need I need a couple hours in advance because I need to put on cover up. I need to wash my hair. I need to pick out an outfit. And this is like for a YouTube live stream, like these people that are watching don't really care. They're just they just want to like engage. But I'm like, no, I they don't know who I am, but I got to make sure I look cute. Like, <laughs> um, so I wanted to pivot back to Angel. This might sound like nonsense, but it almost felt like the Cordelia Angel romance happened so organically. I did the writers want it to happen or was it just that you all had really great chemistry? Was it planned in advance? Um, how did they approach like you and David about the romance? I don't remember there ever being a conversation about that. Right. I don't remember there being any dialogue about putting us together or somebody coming to me and saying, how do you feel about that storyline? I think it was perfectly natural in that we were friends and that it was an affection and a loyalty that our love grew from. So that was just, I guess, the next thing. Yeah, uh, I don't. Re- I don't even remember talking about talking about it with David. Um, I don't remember. I I don't remember there ever being an issue about it one way or the other. I thought it was natural and perfect and. There was no special meeting or conversation at all. Are you kids all still friends? I guess you get to see each other yeah. at cons and stuff, right? Yeah, we definitely see each other at cons a lot. Um, yeah, we're pretty friendly. I, I DM with, with um, David very fr- frequently. I, I mean, I text with the ki- with people very frequently. We're, we're all in touch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I guess that actually it does speak to how natural things were like with the Angel Cordelia progression that there wasn't even really a big discussion. You, they just kind of wrote it and you guys nailed it. That <laughs> that really speaks volumes, I think, for like the writing of the characters and for you and David's performances that it yeah. just worked that well without it even... I did read once, though, that somebody was quoted, and I think it was Joss was quoted in saying that James Marsters was the only person he had chemistry with. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know if if we did have chemistry. I mean, according to the people you that, you according did. to the people, the powers that be, if you will. I don't know if <laughs> but uh, thank you. I mean, I hope I I believed in that relationship one hundred and ten percent. I believe that it's you know it's just. You know, I remember this scene, that, you know, sometimes it's really sweet fans put edits together and then they tag me on the edits on Instagram. So I look at the things and I'm like, mm, I don't like that one. Yes, I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> but I always love the one, the ones where they talk, they show like the evolution of our relationship and how I was just annoying. And then it was just a friendship and a loyalty. And then it was silly where he'd be smelling my head at some point. I was like, what are you doing? Get off my head. You know, or, you know, there'd be like little things where, or then it was just like, yeah, I love you too. What are you trying to say? You're trying to tell me that you love me. I love you too, Angel. Hello. I love you. Everybody. I love Angel. Angel loves me. You know, like I love that. Scene. What's the big deal? This is like a given. This is geometry. And this is the column of givens. We love each other. Uh, it's a different energy, but I always loved the chemistry between you and Andy Hallett, actually, a lot. Um, I think Andy would have chemistry with Nicole. <laughs> he was a gem. He's, you know, Andy's. Andy was a wildly gifted human being, terribly sensitive, um, and I related to that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, just an incredible talent you know Nikki I that I feel like Nikki Brendan and Andy had like so much talent like mm-hmm. Nicholas Brendan is one of the most talented people there is and his mediums are his ability and his um in terms of like writing and poetry and storytelling and acting and uh his his his, his witty as fuck and his deliveries are just incredible and and he was literally one of my fav- most favorite scene partners along with Andy when we worked together. I've always enjoyed our scenes together. And, they just like sparkle. Like they just have so much chemistry. Like it's just I feel like, like, oh, it I, was, just like I was never them. more Cordelia than I, when I was with, Z- when I was with Xander. When Xander, <laughs> Xander and Cordelia were, were in a room, she was never more heartbroken. She was never more uh, vacuous and, and, and superficial. She was never more mean she was never more hurt you know like i feel like she was so cordelia was really xander did a that dynamic and that relationship did a great job um in the early years in fleshing her out in a more complex way but Mm -hmm. angel brought it home 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I actually wanted to ask one more thing about sure. uh, Angel, really, which is that uh, you've talked about how when they told you, you know, you were going to the Angel spinoff, basically, they said that basically if, if it didn't work out, you could always come back to Buffy. Was there ever any time, I guess, maybe during those early scenes of Angel that you were kind of worried, oh, this isn't going to work out or this isn't going to last and I will have to go back to Buffy? And I, I don't even think worried is really the thing because I doubt you were afraid to go back to Buffy. <laughs> Oh, you know, I never felt like I, there was no time where I thought that we were in trouble in terms of of like, oh, this is the audience isn't receiving us. The only time mm-hmm. I felt like there was stress, there was an there was a I think it was a promo shoot actually it was doing something and there was an executive there mm-hmm. and an executive made an off handed comment about how expensive the show was to produce mm-hmm. and that like. It, it concerned me. It made me feel like, oh, wait, is is this like on the bubble? Like it may or may right. not get picked up next season? Like, is this an issue? That was the only time that I had. And I think that was that was maybe season one going into season two, if I if I remember correctly. But then it we did get picked up. So then I just you know, I just rolled with it. Yeah, because I, I feel like I, I mentioned uh, talking about the budget and how it was like really the f- first time people, anyone's kind of said any, how much the budget was. But I think that one of the things that really helped Angel stick out was that, uh, especially after season one, the show always had like a distinct style. Like it looked very cinematic compared to a lot of other shows mm-hmm. on the network. So I think it makes one a lot of sense. One of the first shows to go widescreen. Right? Yeah, it, like, yeah, it went widescreen like really early. It was like, I think the first definitely on the WB to go widescreen. And I didn't it, even know that. Yeah, it it was really interesting because you'd be like watching one show on the WB and then Angel would air. It's like, it literally looked like you were watching a movie on TV. Mm-hmm. So that, that honestly, the budget thing makes, like that's enlightening. I'm really blown away by that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I you have to hand that to this. You have to hand that to Herbert um, Davies, who was our, who did the first forty four episodes of Angel. He was a cinematographer, mm-hmm. and then the last sixty six was was a man named Ross Berryman, who is also an Australian. Um, I don't know why he said also. I guess, um, but <laughs> to be married to an Australian at one point, but that's a whole other podcast. Um, <laughs> but um, Herb Herb Davies was a very talented. Um, uh, cinematographer and Ross, you know, in his own right, very talented as well. In fact, I've um, almost was going to direct, uh, do a short, and I, I called up Ross to see if he would, he'd be willing to shoot it for me, you know, with me because of his, you know, his abilities for the way that it looked. Yes, it was very distinct. It was very mature. It was very dark, um, and it did have a very like a kind of a matrix vibe to it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so our final question is, how do you think Cordelia Chase would feel about the current political climate, quarantine politics, and kind of, you know, waves at everything? Hmm. I don't know who, how different charisma and Cordelia are at this juncture. Um, <laughs> like we are a lot, we are the same person, you know, for the most part. But I, I really feel like she would, she would probably take matters into her own hands on a local level and do what she could to um, run things better because she's, she's deft enough to do it and savvy enough to do it and smart enough (laughs) to do it and outspoken enough to do it. But I don't know how long politically she would last because she is all of those things. She might, but then again, right now, like look who our president is. He says whatever the fuck he wants (laughs) and people are loving it, you know? So maybe she would be, you know, like that. I don't know. But I would think that she would have grown enough and she would have seen suffering and understands what the people needs and would make a difference. I I agree. Charisma, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate I had so much fun. <laughs> I appreciate thank you. everything you've done. Uh, Cordelia Chase is an absolute icon. I know our listeners are very excited to hear what you have to say. Um, tell everyone where they can find you. You can find me on Instagram at Charisma. Charisma. Um, <laughs> it's a David Lee Roth reference. Um, that's dating me. Um, <laughs> it's K A R A Z M A, Charisma. And then on Twitter at All Charisma. All A L L, like all of me. Um, <laughs> and then right here with you guys. Well, it's been a spectacular pleasure getting to know you. And yes. as I said, you yourself have been such an influence in like rewiring the way I think about life. So thank you so much for all your work. 
And uh, you all know where to find us. If you want to find me on social, I'm at Ian X Carlos. Uh, if you want to find the podcast, we are at SlayerFestX98 across all social platforms. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Podbean. And if you want to support this podcast, uh, you can find us on Patreon. It really helps keep the podcast going. We appreciate any and all support. Latoya, where can everyone find you? Everyone can find me on the Twitter at Lafergs, uh, and then you can find my writing and such. I will post about it there. Anthony, where can everyone find you? Uh, you can find me at Mia Koopa, M-E-A-K-O-O-P-A, on most things. Cool. And thanks for listening. We'll see you all next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you, guys. Bye.